I'm convinced that purpose-driven, passionate people guided by their values create amazing outcomes. And I really needed to find a way of empowering people, but also helping them be safe within themselves. Welcome to Elevate, a podcast about achievement, personal growth, and pushing limits in leadership and life. I'm Robert Glazer, and I chat with world-class performers who have committed to elevating their own life, pushing the limits of their capacity, and helping others to do the same. Welcome to the Elevate podcast. Our quote for today is from Leonardo da Vinci, and it is, learning never exhausts the mind. My guest today, Gary Ridge, has made it his professional mission to continuously learn and pass that learning on to the people he leads. Gary is the CEO of WD40 Company, where he has grown employee engagement from 40% to 93% since taking over as CEO in 1997. He was named Igniter of the Year by Simon Sinek in 2016 and is a world-renowned author, keynote speaker, and executive coach. Gary, welcome. I'm excited to have you join us on the Elevate podcast. G'day, Bob. It's just a pleasure to be with you today. So you have a unique story of joining a large global company, WD40, and working your way to the top. Can you tell us a little bit about your early days at the company and what that was like and and what what sort of pushed you towards the executive suite? Sure. And uh, I was fortunate enough, July 4th, I celebrated 32 years as a tribe member here at WD40. I joined down in Australia in 1987. Uh, Prior to that, I actually worked for the uh, licensee of WD-40 in Australia. That's how I got to know the folks here at WD-40. And um, when that license was coming to an end, uh, they they gave me the opportunity to open our Australian subsidiary. And um, my dad was an engineer. And I remember saying to him one day, Dad, you know, I've been asked to join WD-40. And he said, you can't go wrong with that stuff, son. (laughs) <laughs> I think he was right. And um, I worked in Australia from 87 to 94. And we had a goal to take the blue and yellow cam with a little red top to the world. And um, we were testing a number of different business models out of Australia, but basically into Asia. And in uh, 94, they said, you know, would you like to move to the US and, and head up our our expansion in other countries outside the US? And I said, wow, that sounds like a good idea. And we packed up our toys and moved to San Diego. And uh, three years later, the CEO retired and um, I got the opportunity to do just that, is to take the blue and yellow can to the world with a a great tribe of people. And when you stepped up into the CEO role, what was your biggest concern or did you have any about kind of taking on that role? Well, I was consciously incompetent and I continue (laughs) to be that way. But what I'd learned from down in Australia is that there was a lot of knowledge in the company, but it was a little siloed. And I wanted to take those silos of knowledge and turn them into fields of learning. I, I really wanted to understand if we were going to take this brand to the world, micromanagement was not going to be scalable. So how do we set up a culture where there was freedom you know I, i'm i'm convinced that purpose driven passionate people guided by their values create amazing outcomes and i really needed to find a way of empowering people but also helping them be safe within themselves 
And I learned a lot of that when I, I went back to school. Soon after becoming the CEO, I, I went back to school. I went to the University of San Diego and I did a master's degree in leadership. That's where I met my now dear friend, Ken Blanchard. And a lot of the learning from him and his philosophies I actually put into play in building our culture at WD-40. And I know a lot of people probably look and think, WD-40, isn't this just the, <laughs> the spray can or lubricant? Or, But I, I, as you mentioned, the purpose and vision, I know that you think about the purpose of, of the company kind of very differently. And I don't think a lot of people have a window into that. So can you sort of share that at a high level? Sure. You know, we exist to create positive, lasting memories in everything we do. We solve problems, we make things work smoothly, and we create opportunities. That's the purpose of our business. We're in the memories business. That's a lot easier to get passionate about than saying you sell oil in a can. So many people, you know, one of the great joys I get about working for the company is traveling the world and I'll sit next to someone on the plane and they'll say, what do you do? And I say, I work for WD-40. And they say, oh, I remember when. So, you know, our job is to create these positive, lasting memories by helping people not only get their job done, but in our company, creating a, an environment where people go to work every day, they make a contribution to something bigger than themselves, they learn something new, they feel safe because they're protected by their values and they go home happy. And um, we're convinced that happy people create happy families and happy families create a happy world. And we really do need a happy world. And, you know, you talk about that a lot in your, in your book that's coming out in October. Yeah. And, and you know, a, lo- a lot of people who listen to this might think, and a lot of people listen to companies with the cultures, oh, well, that, that all sounds great, and, but that won't work for my company. But as you talk about, you know, you've, you've made a purpose-driven business out of oil in a can. But if we're looking at the outcome of that, fundamentally, the company does the same thing, although there's some new and innovative products. But the market cap has grown, I think, from about $300 million when you took over to almost $2.3 billion dollars today. So I, I think there are a lot of people out there who still think they have to choose between culture and results. But you know, I think you've proven that that's not true. You can't get results optimized without culture. And I think one of the challenges is organizations spend an imbalance of time between strategy and execution and people, purpose and, and values. And I think we've proven over time that certainly strategy and execution is ultimately important. But if you want to turbocharge your strategy and in particular your execution, you need to have highly engaged people. So you need to get a balance between people and purpose and values and strategy and execution. It's not about what are you going to do for me for the next 90 days. And I think that's the problem of short-sightedness in a lot of companies. You know, I, I talk a lot about Al, who's the soul-sucking CEO. And the, Al, the soul-sucking CEO, is very, very short-sighted. And it's all about, you know, the next 90 days. And you don't build an enduring company that way. What is the biggest difference in the culture today at $2.3 billion than when you took over and it was $300 million? Where did you really have to steer that? Becoming a learning organization, uh, we call ourselves a tribe. And the number one responsibility of a tribal leader is to be a, a learner and a teacher. You know, I loved your opening quote. I also love the one, uh, one of Nelson Mandela, which is education is the most powerful weapon with which you can change the world. 
And I think learning is the most powerful weapon we have within organizations so that I'm happy saying I'm consciously incompetent and I say all the time in most situations, I'm probably wrong and roughly right, which means we're very open to learning and that's important. Can you, you've said that twice, will you, will you walk everyone through, hasn't heard it before, the, the mantra of uh, the conscious and incompetent, the four levels. You start at what? Unconsciously incompetent, then you move to, there's like, uh-huh. a, yeah, the four stages of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't remember the four <laughs> off the top of my head, but right. I know consciously incompetent is where right. I sit. Right. So that's yeah. when you know what you don't know, where a lot of people are, are unconsciously right. incompetent, right? Correct. Where they think they know everything. Yeah. There's a great book just came out just recently, and it was a follow-on from Who Moved My Cheese. And you might remember Hem and Ha, the two mice that were caught in the maze. Yeah. And the new book that came out that was written by Spencer Johnson's children after he passed away is called Out of the Maze. And it's interesting. It's one of the points it makes is a belief is a thought that you trust is true. And the thing that we need to challenge is that sometimes there's a facts are just how you see things. So don't believe everything you think. Right. And I think that's important today, particularly in this you know, world that's moving around us so quickly. And I love asking myself often, why, why do I believe this to be true? And I think that's a great way to challenge and be curious. Have you ever owned something that inspired you to up your game? Two years ago, I bought a dual suspension mountain bike for the first time. And it pushed me to ride trails that I had never been willing to try before. When we own exceptional things, they inspire us to do exceptional things. The all-new Lexus GX has exceptional capability that will have you seeing the possibilities you never knew existed. Its advanced technology and luxurious interior mean that wherever you go, you'll never go without. The Lexus GX comes with available dynamic sky panorama glass roof, available front row massaging seats, best-in-class towing capacity, available 33-inch all-terrain tires, and available multi-terrain select. I've seen the new Lexus GX popping up all around my town, and not only does it have the capabilities to take you to new places on and off the road, but it's a great-looking car. The new Lexus GX is ready to raise the bar for you. Live up to the all-new Lexus GX, luxury beyond limits. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. When you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and free. LinkedIn isn't just a job board. It helps you identify and hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. Case in point, last year I asked the CEO of a major ski resort how he got his job, and he told me that he saw it on LinkedIn and decided to apply. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. On LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. The team at LinkedIn is also constantly finding ways to make the process easier. They even just launched a feature that helps you write job descriptions, making the process easier and quicker. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash practical. That's linkedin.com slash practical to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, so on your blog, The Learning Moment, you actually talked about how a negative aspect of the culture when you became CEO is that people were afraid to share information or expertise with each other. I assume that's a corollary to what you just said, a learning and people 
aren't willing to share, I, I assume that if they're, if they're afraid of the feedback. So how did you kind of attack that and address it? Well, we took the word failure out and replaced it with a learning moment. So what we say here is a learning moment is a positive or negative outcome of any situation that has to be openly and freely shared to benefit all. And people don't like being put in a position where they believe they've failed and therefore are ridiculed for the failure. So what we said was, we're not going to have failure in the company. And that's okay. What we're going to do is we're going to take every situation and look at it as a learning opportunity. So we took the word failure out and we replaced it with the learning moment. And that really opened up people in their safety zone of being able to share without fear of embarrassment, ridicule, or whatever. And that's been a huge part of the the change in our culture. You know, okay, don't make the same learning moment three times. That's not a really good thing (laughs) to do. That that was my next question. So what what happens when someone has the same, because I agree with you. I think the failure is a powerful teacher. We use something similar. They write sort of a a brief that they can share with others on what we can learn from it. But so we say it's fine to fail, but repeating the same mistake is, is not okay. Correct. And, you know, I think that responsibility too comes really to the feet of the coach where, you know, once someone has identified a learning moment, it's our role as a coach to help people step into the best version of their personal self and to learn from that. But if the coach is not helping the person develop over time, then who do you hold accountable for this person's trifecta of failure or the trifecta of the learning moment? I mean, it's, it's not about pointing at them. It's like any situation as a leader. When things go right, you look out. When things go wrong, you look in. And that's where most leaders get caught up because what happens is ego eats empathy instead of empathy eating ego. And ego is the biggest killer of leadership. Yeah. Ego, the word, word means self. Empathy means inclusion. And so in your mind, is it always the leader's fault? Is there sometimes when someone's just not in the right role or not doing the right thing. And, and it doesn't matter how many times you have that discussion or coach them. Certainly. Um, you know, so WD-40 is a great place, but it's not for everybody. And right. if we've done our job, if we've clearly identified and agreed with our tribe member what an A looks like, the responsibility of, of helping that person get the A is the coaches. Right. If at the end the person doesn't want to get that A, then you know what? That's okay. We understand that, and maybe this is not the best place for you. So you've got to be committed to yourself to have someone be committed to you. Is the coach the leader, or is coach separate from their manager? Or in your definition of coach, who who is that in the organization? Is the leader. We we okay. don't have managers in the company. Everybody's a coach, and yeah. so our job is to coach people to better performance. And the role of a coach is not to play on the field. The role of the coach is to you know, spend a lot of time in the locker room and a lot of time on the sideline observing the play and bringing new experiences and techniques and bringing new competencies and, to the game. Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting. I think that one of the most powerful analogies someone said to me from uh, sports is that you know, a sports coach cannot walk on the field, right? Everything they have to do is in practice, in the classroom, on the sideline, because they can't get frustrated and just go grab the right. ball and, and kick it. And, and in business, we can. And I think that probably does a disservice uh, versus where you really have to learn how to coach in sports. 
Absolutely. I think we have to do that in business. If we, if we step in and take the play, how is that person going to learn to be a better player? Now, that can become frustrating for the coach sometimes because they'll want to, but we won't over time build someone's you know, leadership strength if we always want to step out there and get in, in front of them. We have to get beside them and let them move forward. Now, I know you're way on the progressive side of this, uh, along with a lot of other leaders in terms of how you run the organization. But what I think is interesting is that we still have a whole group of leaders running command and control playbook when even the military is not using that anymore. So how do we get the word out? It's, I would say my, my opinion is command and control is dead. It just 80% of the companies don't know of that yet or haven't been given a new playbook to work from. But how, what would your message be to someone who really believes, you know, still in that sort of command and control system? Take a look in the mirror. Is it your ego that's putting you there? One of the things I say to our tribe is, is we're fortunate that most of our competitors, 65% of their people who go to work every day hate their jobs. Yeah. So if I was a leader and I knew that 65% of the people who are walking into the roles that they're walking to every day don't like what they're doing. You know, Aristotle said in 384 BC, pleasure in the job puts perfection in the work. So isn't it our role as leaders to bring pleasure to the job if we expect perfection in the work? And if we do do that, we do get these passionate people that are protected by values that create amazing outcomes and not me, but our tribe over the last 20 years has proven that in doing that, you can create an enormous economic engine. And you shared before, we've gone from you know, 300 million to uh, 2.4 billion in market cap over that time. And correlated to that is our increase in employee engagement. 99% of the people who go to work at our company globally every day say they'd love to tell people they work here. Isn't that a very comforting thing to think that when you love something, you're going to protect it. You're going to want it to grow. You want it to prosper. Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean you don't have really high expectations and performance goals, right? I, I think I'm trying to put myself in the, in the shoes of the skeptic. Or say, oh, great. That's great that they love their job, but like uh, no one will be getting anything done. You know, clearly you've 10x the market cap, not the case. So I, I think, again, a lot of people still think that engagement and really high standards are mutually exclusive. But I'd love to hear your take on that. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, we are one of the few public companies, I believe, we actually have a goal that is our, our 2025 goal. We say we're going to increase our revenues by 2025 by something around $275 million, a compounded annual growth rate of revenue growth between, you know, 4 and 7%. That's not easy. Yeah. And I think we're one of the few companies that in our strategic initiatives that we share every time we talk to the market, we say that also our, one of our goals is to get employee engagement to 95% from the 93.3% it is now. So these two things are absolutely linked. We won't get to a 700 million revenue company unless we have a talented group of people going to work every day really passionately enjoying what they do. We won't get there. And if we didn't have employee engagement at 93% now, we would need a number of more employees or tribe members to get the same job done, which ha would have a massive impact on our profitability. So to me, it's all duh. <laughs> you know, 
you know, work it out. Yeah. I'm still amazed at how many people drag their feet on it because they they think that, again, I guess it's that command and control that, oh, we should have these high goals and I should tell people what to do and they should listen and that should work because that's been passed down from generation to generation. But it's a different world. We're in the gig economy. You know, if people don't want to work for you, there's plenty of jobs that they can go get overnight. Right. And I worked out a long time ago, you cannot make anybody do anything. Yeah. And sustain it over a period of time. You can't. What's the quote? A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. <laughs> I, think, <laughs> I think that was Ben Franklin or someone as eloquent as he. Yeah, right. All right, everyone, we're going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. You can have your favorite restaurants come to you with DoorDash. Ordering is easy. Open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be delivered to you wherever you are. DoorDash is a regular go-to in our household. We have a group of hungry teenagers who all want to eat something different. My kids use DoorDash. My wife and I also use it when we want a good meal but don't have the time to cook. Some of our favorite restaurants now have delivery available for the first time. In fact, there are over 3,400 restaurants in 3,300 cities now on DoorDash. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter promo code ELEVATE. That's $5 off your first order when you download the DoorDash app from the App Store and enter promo code ELEVATE. Don't forget, that's promo code ELEVATE for $5 off your first order from DoorDash. And we're back with Gary Ridge. So having transformed the culture of a global company that sells oil, again, this is not, not Facebook for everyone who's listening or not Google. Uh, these are not you know, the high, high techie employees. You, you've now entered the world of coaching and thought leadership, including co-authoring a book, Helping People Win at Work. What's the book about and what was your goal in writing it? When I met Ken Blanchard, when I was doing my master's degree in leadership, he shared that when he was a university professor, he used to give people the final paper at the beginning of the teaching period. And his role was to help them learn the answers. And it was like, oh, duh, in organizations, we have this lousy way of reviewing people. Instead of setting expectations up front and having them achieve, you know, at the end of the year or sometime, we get together and say, this is what you didn't do very well. And, you know, oh, by the way, you know, this is going to govern your compensation. And we said, well, wait a minute. If we, can, if we can identify what an A looks like and then we can put the responsibility of the coach on helping that person get an A, isn't that going to create a better outcome than the other one? And that's why we wrote the book and we've proven that to be true. Um, at the beginning of the year, our, our coaches sit down with the tribe members, they determine what an A looks like, and then they meet regularly during the year to talk about the progress towards that A, the job of the coach being to help them get an A. So that's why we wrote the book, Ken Blanchard and I, and, um, and it's uh, certainly, I think, proved out to be true. A lot of people are talking about you know, the lousy review systems we use in organizations, and they are lousy. <laughs> well, uh, also, the, the, I think the notion of the annual review is really falling apart where you wait till the end of the year to collect up all the positive and negative things that you want to share someone about where they stand in the organization. Oh, absolutely. You know, you, you sit down with someone and you say at the end of the year and you say, well, here's all the things you could have improved on. You know, what we should say is, well, if you would have told me about those 363 days ago or when you identified them, maybe we would have worked together to improve on these things or, or have a better outcome. And then, then we'd all be better off. 
And then sometimes we get really smart. We give managers kind of computer programs to be able to fill in boxes and cross ticks and calculates a number when really it's about coaching on an ongoing basis. It's about the conversation you're having on an ongoing basis, not about some stupid algorithm arithmetic program that punches out some number. Right. And and if you said before, if it's about a learning moment, then you need to learn from that at the moment, not not hear about it nine months later. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you're consulting with companies or coaching executives on leadership, what's the most common area where you see people are just stuck or kind of hitting the wall that they came to you in the first place? Uh, number one is they haven't got a commitment to an organization that it's all about the people. Again, the ego is driving instead of the empathy driving. There's not a clear set of articulated values that keep people safe. Uh, our values in the organization are there to set people free and keep them safe. So it's usually there isn't a people culture, there isn't a true set of values, they haven't defined their purpose, and there's an imbalance between that and the amount of time they're actually talking about strategy and execution. And there isn't an opportunity within an organization to have the freedom of learning. It's a more of a what did you do wrong instead of what can we learn from that? And accountability is so important amongst all that as well. Hey, Elevate listeners, whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify is the partner you need to keep the cash register ringing for your e-commerce business. <coughs> Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading platforms. I advise a lot of companies in the e-commerce space and almost all of them have migrated to Shopify. And as a buyer, what I love about buying from Shopify-enabled sites is that they already know who I am and I don't have to create a new account or enter all my payment info. The ShopPay service makes it faster and easier to buy, which surely helps with conversions. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., and Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com elevate, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com elevate now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com elevate. That's a lot. So I'll pick that apart. If that was my list of to-dos, that would seem like a lot. So let me let me pick that apart a little bit. You said this earlier too, that your values provide safety. Can you explain mm-hmm. what that means? Because I, I don't think a lot of people have been in a company. They see those core values on the wall, right? They see the, I would say the office space Dilbert kind of listing of everything that comes out of book. But I don't think a lot of, a lot of people haven't really been in, in an environment where the values govern decision-making and behavior. And that's a challenge that most organizations have. I get really scared when I walk into lobbies and the values are, are, <laughs> are you know, framed on a wall. Uh, the values need to be embedded in the behaviors in the organization. And in fact, in our employee or tribe member ongoing coaching, the values are talked about as much as the goals. And we see our values are the, the cornerstone of our company, that the beliefs that are at the core of what we commonly agree in, and they're hierarchical. So we only have uh, six values, and number one is more important than number six, and 
by using these values in any situation to make a decision, you are free to make that decision. So our number one value is we value doing the right thing. Our number two value is we value creating positive, lasting memories in all of our relationships. Three is we value making it better than it is today. Four is we value succeeding as a tribe while excelling as individuals. Five is we value owning it and passionately acting on it. And six is we value sustaining the WD-40 economy, which as a public company, you think number one should be we value making profit. But if we do the five, the sixth one that we call the economy will be the outcome. And then each one of these values has a written paragraph underneath it that what does doing the right thing mean? That way, we can transport that value to any country in the world that we operate in. Because if you didn't have a clear description of what that means to us, then doing the right thing in China might be a little bit different to doing the right thing in Malaysia or Australia or the UK or the US. So this way, people feel protected and they also have a a playground to play in that takes away ambiguity. Um, and we've found that to be the cornerstone of a lot of what we do. Yeah. So I can't prove this, but I'm guessing that when you said those values, you were not looking at a piece of paper. You actually know them, uh, which most companies, <laughs> most companies don't, right? They, I've even heard some great companies, hospitality, kind of brag about their values and talk about each one of our members carries around a card with our values and they can put out our pocket, has our 10 values. And I'm like, well, then they don't know it uh, if it's on a card mm-hmm. that they have to read in their pocket. But Yeah, I go back to the safety because if you really want to talk about what real values are and really those listening, think about what Gary said, how this would apply to your business or your family. Are you secure enough in your values that you would say to someone, you are completely safe and exonerated if you make a decision in the service of of one or more of these values? And in doing that, you don't need a lot of rules, right? I mean, that covers far more than a massive (laughs) rule book could cover. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and when you think about it as a value is something that I hold valuable. It's a lasting belief that one particular end or mean is more personally acceptable than the other. Yeah. So what are they? What are they? I, uh, in one of the classes I teach, I do a really fun exercise where I, I put a case study up and I say, here's a case study. And I divide the group into three groups. And I say, you have a set of values that are hierarchical. This center group has a set of values that are not hierarchical, and this group can do whatever they want. And at the beginning of it, the group that kind of gets the free ticket are excited because, well, we can do anything we want. I said, now in 20 minutes, here's the case, come back with your recommendation. And it's a case that describes a business situation. The first group back with their recommendation is the group that has a set of hierarchical values. Hmm. Why? Because it reduces churn. It wasn't a matter of arguing about what was more important to an individual. The group that was excited at the beginning, by the time they come back, they're actually arguing with each other. They've made no progress whatsoever. It's absolute. Instead of having flow in the organization, there's just friction. So in an organization that has no values and they're not hierarchical, what do you think you have? Churn, friction, you know, there's no clear playing field. And I've run that case study, I don't know, maybe a hundred times now in the courses that I've teaching at USD or Penn, and I get the same result every time. And at the end of it, people's eyes light up and say, oh my God, 
this just gives us freedom. It sets us free. We can, you know, make quick decisions or make at least considered decisions. Yeah. And what, what you're describing there for me almost articulates what is so wrong with our political system today in that every issue, people do not have these universal values that should carry from <laughs> decision to decision. Their, their lens on it completely changes based on who brought it up, whose problem it is, it's on the other side. And, and you know, I'll listen to I, either party, someone defend one issue, I don't know, say it's sexual harassment, and they defend someone from their own party who's accused for it and then chastise <laughs> someone from the other party. And they're like, it's either a value or it's not a value. You can't, it's not subjective based on the situation. Yeah, you can't. That's why our values are hierarchical. Yeah. So you can't shop them. You know, you, <laughs> if, if they weren't hierarchical, you'd shop the value. Well, wait a minute. This situation, I think, um, you know, sustaining the WD-40 economy is more important than doing the right thing. So, you know, we'll buy that cheaper chemical that maybe has Prop 65 attributes because we could label the can that way. Um, and we'll be more profitable. No, 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 no. The outcome of that is something we don't like. That's why having them hierarchical is so important. So you can't shop them. Yeah, I heard someone on a podcast recently, if you talk about sort of like, again, rules or values, um, was talking about his daughters and curfew. And he said, you know, when they're going out on a weekend night, he says, look, you know that we're going to worry about you. We probably won't fall asleep until you get home. So tell us uh, what time you're going to be home and reasonable. And he said, they'll say 1030. And he might have thought 1115. But and then they come in at 1027. Because he really, he laid out the sort of value argument for it versus that he said, hey, your curfew is 11 o'clock. There would have been a lot of fighting and yelling and screaming about it. And it's funny, I just, I thought that example was such a great illumination of the difference between rules and values. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, they, they're just something that gives you freedom. Yeah. And, and, and if for those of you who have those, those sort of Dilbert or office space core values <laughs> at your company, I'd, <laughs> I'd encourage you to think about whether, you know, whether people can make decisions based on those or, or whether they're just really uh, more of a marketing thing that you have out there. Yeah. We run a course in our learning laboratory that, you know, we have in the company. And what, what one of the ways we have people use values is we say, the three constituent groups that we serve, we serve our people, we serve our shareholders, and we serve our tribe. Put them at the top. Put the values down on the side. Put the situation at the top. And now put ticks and crosses in the boxes about, our, you know, are we acting within these values helping us make that decision? And pretty quickly, you get a, a visual that says, well, yeah, this this decision is majority in favor of all of the constituents we serve and supporting our values. If you get a lot of crosses, that's when you start really thinking about, wait a minute, this is not a really good decision. What more do I need to know? Have I gathered the facts? Have I got good counsel? You know, am I inclusive in the people that I bring into the conversation? Where further do I have to go? Absolutely. So do you have any new books in the works? Well, I'm, I, I've written a couple of articles about Al, the soul-sucking CEO, and um, I'm hoping that that will come to life over the next year or so because I think there's, there's a lot that we can share on behaviors that sometimes the leader doesn't observe their personal behavior on how they're actually sucking the soul out of the organization. So hopefully Al and his cousin Sam, who's short-sighted Sam, put those two together and uh, <laughs> and you get a pretty ugly situation. Who's the counter to Al? 
do you have a, an archetype of the of the perfect? These are just the negative archetypes. Well, the, the counter to Al is a servant leader. Yeah. That's the counter to Al, is a servant leader. And when you think about the attributes of a servant leader, you know, they involve their people. They're always in servant leadership mode. They're expected to be competent. They have very high emotional intelligence or i.e. empathy eats ego instead of ego eating empathy. They're champions of hope. They move forward and they value the gift of contrarians and feedback. Oh, I can't wait to read the balance. Sounds like there could be a kid's book version of it too. Yeah. You know, maybe it's, maybe it'll be a parable. I don't know. I'm Ken Blanchett and I talking a lot about it right now. It sounds like a parable. Uh, it sounds like a uh, Patrick Lencioni type story. Yeah. 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 So last question, uh, what's a personal or professional mistake that you've learned the most from? And I always say it could be singular or it could be a, a repeated one or learning moment, I should say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't make mistakes, so I have learning moments. My biggest learning moment, and it, and it was kind of like an aha to me, was getting comfortable with the three most powerful words I've ever learned in my life. And those are, I don't know. So you use those a lot. Yeah, and that's it. I don't know. And I'm comfortable with being consciously incompetent or, as I often say, probably wrong and roughly right. And that was the big learning that there's, that's not a place where you feel insecure. That's a place where you actually feel secure. Because once you are determined that you don't know, then you're going to gather the people around to help you learn and do the things you need to do. Okay, great. And how can people get a hold of you? I have my website, www.thelearningmoment.net. I'm on LinkedIn and I have a Twitter at Learning Moment. So any one of those, I try to share my learning as much as I can. But as you know, I have a full-time job leading the WD-40 tribe as well, which is, you know, I'm, I'm so fortunate that I have a, an abundance of worthwhile work to do. Great. Well, Gary, thank you for sharing your story with us. I have a ton of admiration for the way you lead, your commitment to lifelong learning, and how you inspire others to do the same. You're an amazing example of how cultural change is possible, even at a global billion-dollar business that sells cans of oil. <laughs> it's great fun. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And my hope is that some of the leaders out there really understand that the power is in the people and it's our job as leaders to set them up to win. All right. Well, to our listeners, thanks for tuning in to the Elevate podcast today. We'll include links to Gary, his book, and a learning moment, uh, including LinkedIn and his Twitter handle on the detailed episode page at robertglazer.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, I'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review as it helps new users discover the show and the content. Don't be selfish with it. I'd love for you to share it. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, you can just select the library icon, click on Elevate, and scroll down to the bottom to leave your review. If you're listening in a browser or on a different app, you can find links to other services to review like Google Play and Stitcher right on the subscribe page at robertglazer.com. So thank you again for your support. And until next time, keep elevating. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, 
and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously, which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.